Greetings, friends. I'm John Haspel. This is a Dhamma talk from Cross River Meditation Center in Frenchtown, New Jersey. If you find benefit from this talk, please support the restoration, the preservation, and the presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma with your donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace. So, up to this point, we've started this study on the Dhammapada, and we've sort of been, we're on chapter five now, we've been zooming in on, no pun intended for you, zooming in, um, zooming in on right mindfulness, and what it looks like to practice right mindfulness. Um, we started with just kind of intellectually understanding right mindfulness and now we're really getting into um, the path narrowing in on what it looks like and as we practice the Eightfold Path part of using the Eightfold Path to develop right mindfulness is setting up your life and your environment to support concentration and and minimize distraction. Um, so this chapter is called Balavaga of Fools and Foolishness. And so part of being a human being, part of our part of our environment is other humans and being in relationship with other human beings. And we, we need to consider that when we're developing our right mindfulness. How are we going to interact with other people? Um, so, of fools and foolishness, to call, to call someone a fool or to refer to someone as a fool has been for centuries utilized as an insult. Obviously, the Buddha is not hurling insults here. If you look up the word foolish in dictionary.com, it says someone who acts in an unwise manner. So a court jester, for example, makes a living by acting in an unwise manner and distracts his audience from reality. That's what anatta or the ego self does in the mind. It distracts. So here in this context, a distracted mind is a foolish mind or an unwise mind. It's not, a, it's not hurling an insult. Um, so to call someone a fool, again, within the context of the Eightfold Path, is to say that their mind, their quality of mind is distracted. It is unrestrained. It's not rooted in reality. So a distracted mind is going to engage in distraction and then also further distract surrounding minds. So to bring it back to what I was saying before, if we want to develop right mindfulness, we need, to, we need to remember that. When we're interacting with others, they may have a distracted mind. And if they do, we really need to guard our sense gates. We really need to be on the lookout for our own distraction. So here's the Buddha's words. 
The night is long for the sleepless, the road long for the weary. Suffering in ignorance is long for fools ignoring the Dhamma. A true seeker should be resolute in their solitary path if an equal or wiser companion cannot be found. There can be no true fellowship with the foolish. So when I first came across these kinds of concepts in different teachings, this, this idea that, that there can be no true fellowship with the foolish, I kind of had some resistance to it because I thought, does that mean I have to like renounce every relationship in my life? Do I have to not talk to anyone who's not on the path? Um, but I, wa I just want to point out here that this is a very specific definition of true fellowship. So here it's the true fellowship means human relationships that support and develop and deepen your Dhamma practice. So you can't deepen your practice with, you, you can't expect someone else to help you deep, deepen your practice if they're not also practicing, if they're not also on the path. And so that's what the Buddha means when he says there can be no true fellowship with the foolish. So the Sangha would be who we're talking about here, who, the tr where we can develop true fellowship. The Sangha is going to be the individuals or the, the the human relationships that we have that is going to support our practice and help us deepen right mindfulness. Um, there was something else I wanted to say there. Oh, and if you don't have other individuals who are practicing the Eightfold Path, then you have to be ready to just be by yourself, the solitary path. Okay? Resolute, a true seeker is resolute in their solitary path if you can't find anyone else. Okay, back to the Buddha's words. The fool worries, distracted. I have sons, I have wealth, not knowing heartwood. The fool who thinks themselves wise is foolish indeed. The fool who knows their foolishness has the beginning of wisdom. Just as a spoon cannot taste the soup, the fool cannot gain wisdom through association with the wise. Just as the tongue tastes the flavor of soup, those discerning wisely quickly learn the heartwood through wise associations. So here he's pointing out that just having a sangha is not good enough. So you have to, this is an inside job. So we always hear John saying that. You have to do this work yourself. You have to be developing your own discernment. So, so being in a sangha is important but also working the Dhamma yourself is important. The other thing that's kind of being touched on here is when you're interacting with others, you have to practice restraint. You always have to practice restraint, but specifically here, we're, we're kind of discussing when we interact with others, we have to practice restraint, even when we're, we're interacting with other Sangha members. Um, because there's always this tendency there to become distracted. So we have to, again, guard the sense gates when, when we're interacting with others because distraction is contagious. Okay, so in this next excerpt, the Buddha explains kind of what an unrestrained mind looks like. He's talking about the fool. 
Um, he's telling us, and he's telling us what an unrestrained mind looks like so that we can recognize it when we're interacting with others. Um, he's telling us this so that we can recognize an unrestrained mind and act accordingly, kind of like being on alert. So remember back to chapter three. If you didn't read it, I'll just give you a little tiny summary. There was an analogy that the, I'm not giving you a summary, but this is the part I want to pull out. The Buddha uses a summary of the unrestrained mind as being a fish out of water flopping around. And I think that's helpful here. That's a helpful analogy to remember because, it, you know, even within ourselves, we, the mind's flopping around. It's like a fish out of water. You're trying. My, my husband loves to fish, so you see what happens when you try to grab the fish. It flops all over even worse. So if you try to start to control it, it's just all over the place. So, the, and, and in that same chapter, the Buddha refers to the Dhamma practitioner as being one who straightens the mind like a Fletcher straightens an arrow. So recognizing an unrestrained mind in ourselves is it's flopping around. Recognizing it in someone else is also it's flopping, they're flopping around. So if we can start to recognize that, we can behave skillfully in our moment by moment interaction with others. Okay, back to the Buddha's words. This is the flopping around part. So he's trying to show us what it looks like to have a, a foolish mind. Witless fools harm themselves and others. The fruits of their deeds are always bitter. The fool's unskillful acts are as a fruit that ripens in tears. The wise one's skillful acts are as a fruit that ripens in peace and happiness. The fool whose deeds have yet to ripen delights. Yet once ripened, the fool always grieves. Wandering endlessly in ignorance, taking sustenance with a blade of grass, the fool never gains a speck of truth of the wise. Foolish acts ripen slowly like sour milk, but cling to the fool like smoldering ash. The fool gains knowledge that only leads to ruin by obscuring reality and their own innate potential. The fool seeks reputation and undeserved honor among monks, nuns, householders. Through desire, greed, and continue eye-making, the fool thinks, let monks, nuns, and householders know that great works are done by me. Let them follow me as their savior. So here we see an example of how eye-making feeds on itself. Ooh. Hi, Karen. Hi, Karen. Um, okay, so here we see an example of how eye-making feeds on itself. The mind becomes distracted, it experiences suffering, it acts foolishly experiencing, it, it acts foolishly, and then because of the foolish acts, it begins to suffer more. <clears throat> suffering is endless. It goes on and on and on and on, unless we interrupt it by developing and practicing and refining the Eightfold Path. Straighten the mind so that it doesn't flop around. 
developing this practice will end suffering. Just like in the Buddhist time, today there is so much opportunity to avoid holding ourselves accountable in the world. The world is aflame with religious leaders and gurus and nutritionists and specialists and healthcare practitioners who can put out their hands on you and give you a prescription or magically transfer some knowledge to you that will cure your ailment or your disease. These individuals and practices are important. They're nourishing. Um, but nothing will substitute for taking personal responsibility for developing full human maturity by practicing the Eightfold Path and refining right mindfulness. Back to the Buddha's words. The fool seeks worldly gain. The wise seeks heartwood. Through right view, the discipline, the disciple abandons worldly entanglements and develops release from all ignorant views. All views ignorant of the Four Noble Truths. That's the end. I feel like I went really fast, so. <laughs> I'm going to talk to everybody online first. Let's see. Which way do I want to go? I guess I'll start with Josh. Well, good morning. Good morning. Ken. Good morning, everybody. Good morning, Josh. Good morning, Josh. Well, actually, I'm feeling a little foolish this this morning. <laughs> I had my ear earbuds plugged into the my computer and it wasn't working and so I was meditating long after Jen went into her It's <laughs> 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 the longest meditation I've ever done. Congratulations. How do you feel? <laughs> A little foolish. <laughs> We're getting wiser every moment. Yes. Great. Well, I'm glad you're here, Josh. Well, I am too. And uh, uh, once I once I uh, was able to tune in, it was very very enjoyable. Thank you, Jen. Okay. <laughs> uh, let's see, Karen. You, hi. How are you? It's good to see you. You're muted. There you go. Hi, everybody. Sorry for the delay. Um, I just got on. I haven't been on in weeks and weeks and weeks, so and I missed the whole talk. <laughs> okay. So I'm just going to keep my mouth shut and listen. Okay. Well, it's good to Thank see you. you. Nice to see your face, Karen. You too. You too. Hi, Anthony. Hi. I love this saga. This like I hate to quote Jerry Maguire, but it, this like saga had me from like from Hello. That's why it is amazing. The night is long for the sleepless. The road long for the weary. Suffering and ignorance is long for fools ignoring the Dharma. A truth seeker should be resolute in their solitary path. If an equal or wiser companion cannot be found, there can be no true fellowship with the foolish. Like I read that. And it just started hitting on all kinds of levels because it's it's a lot more than uh, following the the, the the dharma. It's it's associations and friendships and finding the right sanga. And, and then he, and then it comes back later talking about 
the spoon cannot taste the soup, the fool cannot gain wisdom for association with the wise. So then you realize, well, you can have the right associations and you can have the right sangha, but you have to put in the work and they have to help you. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's amazing. I love this sangha. What I, what I was wondering if you could tell me what, what is the heartwood? What does that mean? Oh, sorry. Um, the heartwood is, oh boy, uh, getting to the root of understanding the Dhamma, really understanding it and, and bringing it in and having it within you and understanding it yeah, and practicing it. Yeah. Yeah. Heartwood is like the heart of the, the, the wood. Right. Know? Exactly. So <laughs> yeah, yeah Ram always talks about, and so does John because they're both, because they're both carpenters. The, the the center part of help me out here. I can't remember exactly. The full path. Yeah, it's the it's the valuable part of the wood. It's you know it's the eightfold path. Right, the eightfold path, which is the valuable part of well, the valuable part of the wood of an actual tree, is called the right. heartwood. It's also a reference that it's something you can actually build with. There's some substance to it, as opposed to sapling that you can't build. Can you hear John? No. What did he say? He said it's. The, the heartwood is something you can actually build on. So the Eightfold Path is something you can actually build on. It has substance to it. Yeah, that's a beautiful metaphor because yeah. you can tell if the tree is sick by looking inside of it. You can use it to build things. Mm -hmm. You can tell its age. It's an amazing metaphor. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah, thank you. It's great to be here. Yay. It's here good to is. see you, Anthony. You who's, too. Who's next? Karen went. Kate! Hello. Hey, girl. Hey, <laughs> So, this was great. You, you did an amazing job, obviously. Um, I think, I always think this even just when I'm talking to you, that you always have like a very clear and very linear and very sort of logical oh, there's hey. <laughs> um, way of explaining things, and it just really helps the understanding, at least for me. Um, being very clear, so. Hi, Paul. <laughs> um, Hello. Sorry, we have, yeah, we have somebody dropping in here. Um, I loved the fish out of water analogy. That's such a great analogy for the mind, and I just, mm -hmm. I definitely relate to that in terms of the way my mind works. Um, so I think that was one of the things that I took out of this, but I thought was really great. Um, I don't really have anything else to add, but that was It's good wonderful. to see you. you did a great job. Thank so, you. Congrats. Thank you. Hi, Mary. Are you nearby? Yes. I'm here. I'm having a hard time hearing you. Can you hear me now? Oh, there we go. Perfect. Okay. All right. Um, I, I think it's very pure and simplistic. It's very simple to understand. It's um, easy to identify when we are that fish out of water or when we're, you know, following the hardwoods. So I think it's a wonderful reminder, very grounding um, and, um, you know, very simple. Like when you, when you think that your practice is difficult or you think this material is complicated, very important to remember how simple 
it is, and it's we who give it the layer of complication. Mm -hmm. So mm -hmm. um, easy to implement, easy to understand. So uh, thank you, Jen. Thank you, Mary. That was really well said. Thanks for saying that. Always. Um, did I get everybody online? Let me just double check. I don't need to talk to myself. I think you did. <laughs> yeah, great. You're up, Rom. All right. Um, what do you got? For, for organizing this, because um, to me the Dhammapada is, it often looks like on first blush as just this random collection of Sayings. Mm -hmm. and, and you clearly show where, how this, even this little chapter is, is uh, structured. Mm -hmm. Individual parts of foolishness and the results thereof that, 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 it's, that it's showing. Um, and then, you know, I still, every time I, I read one of these chapters, there's these, these pictures in there that are just fantastic. Yeah. The, the, the foolish acts ripen slowly like sour mm -hmm. milk, mm -hmm. and, and, but cling to the fool like smoldering ash. Mm -hmm. I can't tell you how many people that I know, I step out on their back deck and there's a big scorch mark because they cleaned out their fireplace a couple of days after their oh. fire. And there were still hot embers in yeah. there. They stick them in a in a paper bag and put them out on the back deck. Mm -hmm. That's how yeah. foolishness persists. Yeah, yeah. And then suddenly, you know, bites you in the ass. Totally. Yeah, so yeah. The, the, the pictures are always wonderful. In these. Also, the, there's that, the, and I and I saw this when I was reading it, but I didn't want to complicate. But the car, the the reference to karma there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, ripening karma. Yeah, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yep. yep. At the bottom of the Yes. Which is still confused <laughs> <laughs> the hell out of me. But uh, to, to say that something is, you know, when you, when you do something foolish, you, the suffering continues to come and then mm -hmm. you continue to suffer. Whereas if you choose wisely, then you don't experience that suffering that then can perpetuate mm -hmm. more foolish acts. And it's more immediate too. The, 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 I wouldn't say reward, but the effect of wise discernment is right there in the moment because that's what that's Relief. What yes, right. But the foolish one puts it off and slowly bubbles up and then you're in trouble. Yep. Again. <laughs> thank you. Tim. Jen, thank you. Yay. That was wonderful. Oh, thanks. Um, and I agree with Ron with uh, you know, the Dhammapada is like a uh, cliff notes like we have talked about before of the, the full of the Dhamma and you broke it down uh, this particular chapter of the Dhammapada uh, to its broke it down into many parts that it was it was dis discussing and you know um, 
I just have a couple notes that I wanted to talk to you about. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> the gist of this chapter uh, is the importance of the wise association, uh, and not only with others, not those around us, but also the restraint within ourselves as well. And then the payoff is is the embracement, the embracing of the heartwood, the eightfold path. Um, in I see in here many, uh, and it makes sense because you know the, the the three marks of existence, you know, pretty much affect the, the dharma in general, and and they they talk about here, or the Buddha uh, mentions many things here that talk, goes to impermanence and into, to to dukkha, obviously, but also also to anatta, especially towards the end when they talk, talks about the ego building. Full suit reputation and undeserved honor, etc., etc. Mm -hmm, the eye making. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And the one line that really stuck out when you were talking about um, the, the lack of restraint uh -huh. was the fool whose deeds have yet to ripen delights, yet when ripen the fool always grieves. Yeah. And that to me is the essence of craving mm -hmm. and being not satisfied and wanting more. Mm -hmm. And so all those subtle those subtle things that are simple in the Dhamma are are in are in here and in many of the chapters of the Dhammapada. And within our life, and that's the nefarious nature of life, is that it, it it is, yes, when we talk about it it seems simple, but these things sneak into our lives at any moment. You know? Mm, and mm -hmm, like you said mm -hmm. in the beginning, distraction is contagious. Yeah. And it spreads. And you don't even know it. Yep. And that restraint allows us to recognize the Four Noble Truths in a very profound way. Mm -hmm. um, you know, and I think in, in closing, this chapter get, directs us to recognizing what will result in dukkha. Mm -hmm. The distraction, <clears throat> the clinging and craving to impermanent phenomena, but the fool who's easier to ripen, and then the but the and we use faith, and that's a very maybe not a correct word, but the faith of, of realizing the cessate the cessation of suffering is possible. Mm -hmm. We need to believe that. You and say experience a third it. Noble, you know, noble right. truth. Right. And then at the end, the embracing of the heartwood, releasing us from suffering with 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 concentration. Right. So, right. Right. And right. I said a lot, but I think you really broke this down so well, thank perfectly. You. Thank you. And made me understand it even more. So thank, thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, there was, there's two things that you said in there that I kind of wanted to, that you reminded me of. Um, just the moment by moment, um, opportunity to practice restraint or to practice foolishness. Practice foolishness. I, that's what I, I just made that up. Um, <laughs> when you, the line that you liked, it was the same line that, that Ron pulled out, which is the, the, fool, the fool's deeds ripen slowly and while the fools, I don't have it memorized. I should just pull like it out. Sour no, the no, the um, the 
the deeds that have the, the foolish foolish. deeds have yet to to ripen always yeah. delights right. so that's arising yep. so when a phenomenon is arising we are always delighting regardless of what it is and then as it's passing away if if we're clinging and craving and then as it's passing away we're always grieving yes. and that's so that really i thought pointed out how your moment by moment experience is going to be suffering if you are always clinging to what's coming up yes yeah so thank you <clears throat> hello hi david hello. <laughs> uh, the foolishness and the fool delights in the ignorance until it arises and then there's the suffering. So it's almost like ignorance is bliss because when it does arise, then they understand, but it really is an entanglement of, of their decision. And the wise seek the wisdom and understanding that gives them that ease lack of a better word, peace. So, to me, this is a, a, a very tight synopsis of what our practice is. Mm. It's our decision to seek the understanding and not to, it's an endless cycle of dukkha. Thank you. Sure you don't want to start teaching? <laughs> that was great. Thank you. John? Uh, again, that was really outstanding. No. Oh. Really, really, you know I don't, I'm not giving the hyperbole. It, it, uh, as much as I could be stunned and blown away, blown away you did it. <laughs> Your depth of understanding uh, came through in this, in the, in the simple manner that you taught this. You really have to understand the teaching in the way that he did. Uh, it was, there's nothing hidden in the Dhamma for you anymore. And beyond that, you also have the ability, obviously, uh, to teach it in a very, very skillful way. I'm, I'm, the only thing I can really say, uh, honestly, I'm just glad that I was here to, to watch you do it. Thank you. Your, your, your years of bright effort are really paying off for so many others. It was a relief to see you smiling while I was talking. <laughs> <laughs> Everything you did just, just brought a smile to my face. Thank you. No friends. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. Hi, Kevin. Hi, Jen. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful sutta and wonderful teaching. And um, just to echo John and everyone, he gave a beautiful explication of the teaching and really made it clear. And we did it in such a way that you are our wiser companion. <laughs> and you do not have to suffer in solitude or to study in solitude, at least for now. Thank you. Thank you. What did I say? Thank you. Mm -hmm. I always enjoy hearing what you have to say. Adam, hi Hello, there. Friends. I missed you all last week. Yeah. 
Um, I had uh, one observation and two questions that I wanted to ask. Okay. Um, the first observation, the observation is that when I first read this, I was having trouble contextualizing it. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, but two things you said really kind of illuminated it, illuminated it and made it blossom for me. Um, the first one was, is speaking about human relationships. Yeah. Um, and I have a question about that later. And the second thing you said was about how distraction is contagious. Mm. Um, and, and both Tim and Ron kind of pointed that out as well. Um, like the idea of that bag of embers, like mm -hmm. making a mark in your deck, totally <laughs> rang true to me. Yeah. How it sort of has this knock-on effect. Um, so I just want to say thank you for bringing that illumination because otherwise I was kind of didn't quite know where to put it. Whew, thank you for saying yeah. that. Um, the questions I had are, are two. The first one was academic. I'm not sure uh, going to hear can answer it, but the question I had is. In the text, the word dharma, the Sanskrit term, is used in a sort of pejorative sense of um, you know, false prophets, so to speak, mm -hmm. whereas the Pali term, dhamma, is used to represent you know, the, you know, the learning we have here. I'm wondering what, the, what led to that choice and why the Sanskrit <laughs> Yeah, I'm really glad John so, and Ron were here for uh, this one. <laughs> most of modern Buddhism is, is referred to as the dharma. Right. Um, hardly anybody uses the word Dhamma. And as you said, Dhamma is the Pali word Sanskrit is Dharma. The only reason I make the distinction is to is to make that clear distinction between what the Buddha actually taught is Dhamma and everything else we can refer to as Dharma. Okay. That, 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 and that's the only real distinction we need to know. So uh, you, you asked me about the differences in the, the version of the Dhamma Pali word yeah. uh, reading versus where, you know, where, where is my sources? My sources were all of those. And then I restored the Dhammapada to what I felt was its most useful form. There's no such thing as an original Dhammapada. There's no such thing as an original Sutta Pitaka. Um, but there is the restored teachings of the Buddha that what is most important is to look for the context of each one. Everything the Buddha taught was taught in relation to dependent origination and four noble truths. And when you hold that in mind and are willing to let go of the magic and the myth, then you can see very clearly and translate it, I think, in the most yeah. accurate way. So the, the answer to your question, Dhamma, in, in my writing, on my website, nowhere else in the world, yeah. <laughs> Dhamma refers to what the Buddha actually taught, Dharma is everything else. So Dharma might even be a, a poem by Pema Chodra. I'm not putting her down. Right. She's a Dharma teacher. What we do, what Jen just did, is teach the Dharma. Got it. Thank you. Thank you. Um, the second question I had yeah. was about uh, right effort, I guess. Um, and that is, what is our obligation to, to tools? I mean, this, oh, these that's are, a good question. We have our Sangha here, obviously, which is, a, yeah. you know, the, the right companions, or the companions that will help us. But, you know, the rest of them could be anybody, like sure. our spouses, our friends, Absolutely. families, what have you. Right. What obligation do we have to help them? That's a great question, and mm -hmm. one that I definitely understand asking. Sort of goes back to what I was saying in the beginning of when I first read that. I was like, am I supposed to, you know, what is a wise association? You know, am I supposed to just expect everybody else to be on the path. That's why when you said human relationships, it really struck me. Right. Like, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, 
Um, I think when you ask the question, what is my, what is our obligation to, you know, our relationships, you know, that, your obligation to your boss, your, your spouse, your children, whatever, that's a, that's a, there's a responsibility there that you have to them, that you, that an agree, an agreement that you have with them that's outside of the Dhamma. So, so that's, so that's your obligation. But if you're asking specifically, you know, how, how do you have a relationship with someone when they're not practicing and you are, is, is to be restrained when you interact with them and by using, use restraint. So, and what that's gonna look like for you is gonna be, is gonna be different than it is for me. Um, but if you can notice when your mind is distracted and you're interacting with someone, you will be more skillful. If you can recognize when their mind is distracted, you will be more skillful. You'll just pause, bring it back to your breath. Even if you're, you have an argument with your spouse, you start to sense that you are angry, that you're frustrated, that's distraction. If you can say to yourself in that moment, I'm feeling distracted right now, I'm feeling you know, like I'm not gonna be skillful, so can we just put this away, you know, until I calm down a little, whatever it is. Or, you know, you actually in that moment are able to see your own clinging and craving and what it is that you want that's different from what they want and let that go, you're more likely to have a skillful interaction with them. I mean, we could also say that, that we, you know, I mean, I don't want to speak for John, but we might say that we, depending on who the individual is, if they want to know more, you know, if they are, they notice a change in you and they want to understand more, of course, you know, it could be even more than that, teaching them something or, or explaining something to them or, or just telling them about your experience, you know, just living your life, but, but doing it in a way. And I just see people like rocking out of their chairs and so if anybody else has anything they want to add, then please do so. Thank you, Jen. Yeah. Okay. Mom. Oh, I almost left you out. You almost left me out. Probably because you know what I'm going to say. <laughs> This is the first time I've ever seen Jen teach, except for when we were at the retreat and she was um, teaching online. So it's different, very different. And of course, I'm very proud of her. Oh, you did good, That's Mom. Fun. Yes. <laughs> but what I what I want to say with regard to the Dhamma is really what everybody else has been saying that. <clears throat> how you brought together the first four chapters of the Dhammapada. Did I get that right, the mm -hmm. And um, sort, of ex sort of brought it down to its core, bottom line, uh, organized it, 
and made it and because I felt the same way that, that Juan did, like it, it seemed like a, a distracted or sort of a sort of a group of difficult to get a handle on little excerpts. And um, you really you really organized it and made it clear. And made it so that I really can identify with the fish out of water. And I thought, <clears throat> I, I thought that the explanation of uh, just now of the relationship and how you can be distracted by by someone else whose mind is distracted and how it's possible to recognize that i'm still not sure that i can do that that i can recognize it but knowing that 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 is something that is possible and that you can work on it and then giving giving people the stepping stones to do that, mm -hmm. which is, this is what happens. Something comes up in you, and you have to use that restraint, be skillful, so that you can practice recognizing. And that's how you identify its beginnings. So that was, that was very helpful, very oh, helpful. Good. And uh, thank you, Jen. Thank you. There's one more person that just joined us. Hi, Matt. Hey. hey. Do you want to say something? Hi, or are you just you just tuned in to Hi, say Jen. hi? Hi. Everybody. Who is this interloper? I <laughs> <laughs> uh, I tuned in late, but I did read the sutta, um, and it's just really good to see you up here teaching the Dhamma. Um, and following along with what um, John has shared with us and, and is sharing with the Sangha. So just really, really good to see you. It's good, to, good to see your computer screen. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for joining that. Thanks for showing up. John? Yeah. Can I just add something real quick? Go ahead, yeah, please. <clears throat> Uh, Adam's uh, question. Oh yeah. Into our discussion. Yeah. I think uh, uh, when I, the Dhamma is int very introspective for me. I think for everybody, mm -hmm. it was on their own pace, their own area, and that's where the sangha uh, is supportive and use restraint. Um, and we talked about compassion. I think that. Um, Mm. We don't need to look at, we need to look at ourselves and, and practice within ourselves and if someone is, is, is suffering, for a lack of a better word, mm -hmm. uh, with, with, with uh, doubt, and with skepticism, with anger, with fear, all the things that affect us, I find that just keeping calm and practicing the Dhamma within myself, Yes. eventually, especially when we're married, <laughs> yeah. 
and with children, they mm -hmm. see that. Uh -huh. And you notice a little subtle change on how that interaction goes. I am very cautious to discuss yeah. the Dhamma. We talked about this a few weeks mm -hmm. ago mm -hmm. with other people because I'm a practitioner, I'm not a teacher. And I would never want to say anything that would be misconstrued and be harmful. Mm -hmm. So I don't look at it that way. I look at it just how I yeah. can take this experience I'm in right now and remain in that present moment without mm -hmm. suffering. Thank, Thank you. you for pointing that out. Yeah, that was that's really absolutely um, always what the best thing we can do for others is to practice the Dhamma. Mm -hmm. That's the very best thing. Yeah. So thank, thank you, you for high, for underscoring that for us. Something else you said. Yeah, too. that moved me a little bit more to the right track too. Yeah. Thank you. It's really and and because if you're talking about it, it's it can be that can be if it's not landing on the right individual mm -hmm. that can just be landing on deaf ears and now it's wrong speech mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. so yeah you just thank you but the difference shows itself in 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 the yeah. exchange uh, i've found i've always been very reluctant in, in, in discussing mm -hmm. what i do with, with others, whether it's whether it's my, my wife or my children or or friends, um, but I have noticed as my my understanding of this and and, and my practice deepens um, the opportunity to actually have my experience be helpful to someone else. Um, pops up. All of a sudden, you know that you can't. Yeah. yeah. This this is the right thing to say. I mean, the right speech just comes out, mm -hmm. and, and and it's there. And you there there's no um, there's no doubt holding something. Mm -hmm. uh, at least that's my experience. Your mind is clear. And your mind is clear, <coughs> and and you see the situation. And you see what the suffering is that that your that the other person is, is dealing with, and in you recognize it. Mm -hmm. Oh yeah, I know this one. Um, and then um, speaking from uh, from the Dharma and from the Eightfold Path is is just there, there's no friction there. Anymore. Yeah, it just comes out and it's, and it's good. Yeah, I guess so. The obligation would. To others would be to practice the Dhamma in myself. Yeah, that really clears it up. Yeah. Us. And, well, do we have to be a, a teacher to our friends who might be suffering? Sure, right. Yeah. But there's a <laughs> there's an element again back to right speech. Is it timely? Mm -hmm. Is it beneficial? Is it true? Uh -huh. mm -hmm. And I always encourage uh, Epicico. Right. And it always is back to the John's website mm. and I said it a few weeks ago I have a sliver of understanding and I would not want to uh, misdirect or uh, misinform but 
one of the first things you learn is elements of right speech. You know, at first, it's just like, you know, it's all willpower. But then you, you come to understand, is it timely? Is it beneficial? Mm -hmm. Does that person have any context to what you're even saying? Right. Because mm -hmm. so quickly, you could just like spin off into like a blank stare of right. what's this person... Right. What you are know, they talking about? Yeah. Oddball. Yeah. You know, it, it can look odd. But again, at the Seco, go see for yourself. It's, it's there for you if you have a speck of dust. Mm. So. Yeah. You hear me say often here that the most loving thing I can do for myself and for all other human beings is to take to the dollar and awaken. And what that means is that you're the best Dhamma teacher, in fact, I would say the only Dhamma teacher, who teaches first by example. And Jen is just the, the, the perfect example of that. She, she, was, she is such an effective teacher because she has developed the Dhamma to the point that her, just her sitting there and speaking normally is the Dhamma, because she's a perfect example. But that doesn't mean that you in the beginning of your practice cannot be an example. You're an example of, of whatever understanding you have right now that you've integrated yourself. And that is the most powerful thing mm. to anybody. Um, as you develop the Dhamma to a more deeper level, like Ram said, you'll know what to say to people. It's not something you can really explain except to say you'll gain an understanding of the nature of stress and your contributions to it, and along the way you'll develop a calm and peaceful mind. That sounds good to most everybody. Yeah. The rest of it has to be developed on their own. Outstanding. Yay. Okay. So, are we ready for closing? So, everybody take a comfortable seat. Gently close your eyes. Gently close your mouth. And these are the Buddha's words on metta from the Karanita Metta Sutta. This is what should be done by one who is skilled in goodness and who knows the path of peace. Let them be able and upright, straightforward and gentle in speech, humble and not conceited, contented and easily satisfied, unburdened with duties and frugal in their ways, peaceful and calm and wise and skillful, not proud or demanding in nature. Let them not do the slightest thing that the wise would later reprove, wishing in gladness and in safety, may all beings be at ease. Whatever living beings there may be, whether they are weak or strong, omitting none, the great or the mighty, medium, short or small, the seen and the unseen, those living near and far away, those born and to be born, may all beings be at ease. Let none deceive another or despise any being in any state. Let none through anger or ill will wish harm upon another. Even as a mother protects with her life her child, her only child, so with a boundless heart should one cherish all living beings, radiating kindness over the entire world, spreading upwards to the skies and downwards to the depths, outwards and unbounded, freed from hatred and ill will, whether standing or walking, seated or lying down, free from drowsiness, one should sustain this recollection. This is said to be the sublime abiding. By not holding to fixed views, the pure-hearted one, Having clarity of vision, being freed from all sense desires, is not born again into this world. Thanks, everybody. Thank you, it was a great discussion. You. You're very Thanks. kind. Thank you, Thank you. 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 Thank you.
Thank you for listening. I rely on donations to support the continued restoration, preservation, and presentation of the Buddha's Dhamma. If you find benefit here, please consider a donation at becoming-buddha.com. Thank you. Peace.